All right, we're going to be starting a new series, and as always, whenever we're starting a new series, I am excited, the most excited about what we're ready to do. We're going to have nine messages through July and through August that's going to set some things in order, I think, and, and it may be repetition for some of you, but it's going to put some things in some order that will give us the opportunity to relaunch, I think, in a way that we're going to be functioning uh, in God's design. And we're turning a chapter, as you know, in Legacy's history. And I want to be sure we write that next chapter appropriately. And so we have a new sermon series that we've entitled, I Love My Church. We've been doing some repeat after me. So how about let's do that as well? Because Jesus loves, doesn't Jesus love his church? Don't you believe that? I believe he does. And I believe Jesus loves Legacy Church. So let's, let's just agree with what Jesus says. Together, I love my church. Sure you do. I love my church. Now when we use the word church, most people think they know instantly what that means. And some of what you think is totally on target. You're genuinely right. It does mean what you think it means. But we're living in an age where everything that is foundational is getting redefined. Now that's, that's frustrating for me because I, I want things to be defined right. But that's confusing for almost everybody. We're redefining marriage. We're redefining family. We're redefining gender. Do you know there's like 60, 70 genders now? You may not have known that. We're redefining orientation. We're trying to redefine government. So it should come as no surprise that church is under an onslaught to get redefined as well. For example, I just these are questions that may not have, never have entered your mind, but they've come into my mind. Can you be an internet church only? It just it pops into my mind because there are internet churches. You know, do you know you can go to college now and you never have to go to campus? You can take all your classes online. And so you never have a classroom experience. And that's kind of what's happening today in church. Can you do church strictly online and still be a church? Many church churches have campuses and they do it with videos. Is that legitimate? Is that, is that church? Now, I'm not suggesting it's not church. Don't misunderstand. I'm just asking questions right now. Because I miss the moment when the body of Christ had this discussion. How many people must show up to constitute a church? I mean, is there a minimum number? Is there a maximum number? Must there be a central location for church to happen? What about as a Christian, do I have to even go to church? Can you be a Christian and not go to church? Or, or does every church have the same mandate or mission? Should every church have basically the same program? Or are there certain programs that we're required to offer as a church? Why can't I attend a small group? And maybe that could count as going to church. Or if I worship God, if I go to a concert and maybe somebody reads some scripture, maybe I could count that as church. You know, when a minister is formally trained for the ministry, all of these questions are tackled in a class that is called with the big term because, you know, we have to complicate everything. But it's a, it's a big term called ecclesiology. And the word ecclesiology means the study of church life. 
And of course, you study the Bible to find those answers, and you study to find out what Jesus had in mind when he declared that he was building a church that hell could not stop. Now, what would that look like? In our day and age, we're no longer asking the questions as to what the Bible says about church life. We usually leap to the pragmatic question, which is what grows the organization? And the organization, of course, we label the church. So how do we get people to sit in the seats at our church? And we call this reaching people. And what we do is we define church life or we even define success by the one and only metric. And we all are subject to this. But we define it by the one metric, which is how many people come to your church and if the number reaches whatever it is in our mind that it's supposed to reach to we consider that to be a success i want to suggest to you that while how many folks come are important to evaluate i'm not suggesting that that's not an appropriate evaluation what i'm suggesting to you it's not the only evaluation i want to tell you a story most people remember at least if you're around my age area you remember uh, the name Robert Schuller. You remember Robert Schuller? Crystal Cathedral. You remember Robert Schuller, Crystal Cathedral. And uh, a lot of what Robert Schuller did was great. I'm not here to throw stones at Robert Schuller. Robert Schuller started the church, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, somewhere around like 1959, I think. It was about the year I was born. And he started, if you'll recall, and you know the story, he started the church in a unique way because he actually had a part of it was indoor but it was an old drive-in theater and so people could literally come to church in their car at the old drive-in theater and they and, and those of you some of you may not be old enough to remember drive-ins but you drive up and then you take the speaker off the pole and you put it on your car window and and that's how you used to watch movies drive-in movie it was really a terrible way to go to the movies but it was kind of unique and different at the time and kids loved it because they really weren't watching the movie anyway. They were just running around doing what they do. But Schuler got one of those old theaters, and that's what he did. And so people, again, not, not tossing stones at it, I'm just telling you the story. But people would literally be able to come to church, and you could leave your home, and you didn't have to change your clothes. You could come in your pajamas. In fact, some of you remember probably going to drive-in. I do as a kid, and my parents would put me in pajamas to take me to the drive-in. Because the movie was going to last longer than I could stay awake. But that's exactly what Schuler did in order to start the church. And it was kind of creative and unique. And again, we can have a great discussion as to whether or not that constitutes church or not. It's what he did, and obviously it grew. Until finally they built this, the big crystal cathedral. He handed it off to his oldest son, whose name was Robert Schuler as well. Interestingly, his son was way more evangelical uh, than the elder Schuler was. Uh, the first Robert Schuler, the elder one. Of course, you know, many of you know that his was a very positive message. He had some unique ideas with regards to uh, people's salvation. Uh, he had fallen under great criticism as to whether he even believed in original sin or not. It was very psychologically based. But his son came, and his son was very evangelical in his understanding. And so the son began to change some things at the Crystal Cathedral. And as I understand it, if I have the story correct, and again, I may be painting a broad brush, and I know I'm going to be on the internet, so if I'm painting a little too broad, I'll, I'll be the first to say, 
if I don't get every detail right, then I didn't get it right, but I've got the, the broad brush, brush stroke right, that he invited one time Evil Knievel to come and to give his testimony at the Crystal Cathedral. And Evil Knievel gave a barn-burning testimony. I remember watching it on television. And when it was done, it was like God showed up. And people started flooding to the altars at the Crystal Cathedral. That wasn't normal for that church. And what began to happen was, is that under the sun, it began to take a far more what we would call uh, evangelical, maybe orthodox, uh, maybe more maybe more church, as many of us had come to understand it, and it brought about a great tension between he and the father. Until finally the father took the church back from the son. And he made a statement that I have never forgot as I was reading all the, the details of this whole thing. He made a statement, the elder Schuler did, that I've never forgotten. He said this, the Crystal Cathedral was not a church, it was a mission. And I thought, there's the answer. Not, not the answer in a good way, but there's the answer as to why there was this tension. Because in the elder Schuler's mind, this was never meant to be this thing that he was, he was overseeing. It was never meant to be church. Because he knew enough to know that a lot of what he was doing really wasn't supposed to be happening probably within church life. And so in order to do that, you redefine it. It's not a church, it's a mission. We're not doing church. Now, I understand everybody that tuned in, what did you think you were watching? You thought you were watching a church. Obviously, everybody thought that. It's why they had conferences, and everybody ran to the conferences, including some names I could throw out to you right now that you would know instantly. They went to listen to how Robert Schuler grew his church, but he really wasn't growing a church in his own mind. He was growing a mission and in his mind a mission was different than a church and indeed it is let me give you an example if you are running a rescue mission how many of you know that the people who sit in the seats maybe the people who even participate in what was going on that might not be exactly what you would have by way of church order because most of the folks at a rescue mission need rescued themselves are you following me now the question comes is that what church is all about? In fact, the Crystal Cathedral, because of all those shifts and change, and because of the tensions that exist, existed, I think, with that ideology, eventually the whole thing collapsed, and it was sold to a Catholic diocese. So the Crystal Cathedral is now a Catholic diocese. Now, isn't that interesting? Because Jesus said that he would build his church, and the gates of hell could not prevail against it. It's interesting. Why does that happen? What's going on here? Have we defined this thing right? And so I think there's some questions that no one's asking, and I think they're critical to ask if we really believe that Jesus through his church is the hope of the world. Do we believe that? Do we believe Jesus through his church is the hope of the world? Yes? Yes. Okay. So the Bible becomes a blueprint for everything in our life as well as church life. And so I want to look at the blueprint some these next nine weeks. And you're going to be hearing different messages. And they're going to come at you in such a way that, that I, I believe we're going to begin to paint a picture of what Jesus had in mind when it came to defining church. And that's what I want to talk about today. Defining 
church? What is a church? What did Jesus envision by the word church? Now you say, what, what does that have to do with me? If you'll stick with me, this is going to become real practical real quick. All right? What did Jesus envision by the word church? Acts 2, beginning with verse 40, we read, And with many other words, he, meaning Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, now this is after the day of Pentecost, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received Peter's word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were what? They were together. They weren't isolated, were they? Had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need, so continuing daily and with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's define church. Now the word church is familiar, is it not, to most people? In fact, I want to suggest to you that I think the word has become almost too familiar. It's become one of those words like the word home. We all know in general what the word home means and what's being described. But if I asked you to describe what a home looks like, I suspect with however many people that are here, I would get that many definitions of what a home is to look like. I believe the same issue can come with the church. You all know kind of what a church is like but all of our definitions might be different. I want to suggest to you, just using kind of the analogy of home and church, that a home is not the acquisition of stuff. A home is not necessarily, you know, a house that you own. A home is not the business of scheduling things in a family. But a home has to deal with relational connection. Home is a sense of safety, security acceptance, encouragement, transparency, stability. How many of you know you can have a home and you can be living in the Great Depression and have nothing, but you still can have a home? So I believe the church is in much the same way a lot like the home. Now, the home is in trouble these days, isn't it? Well, the church, I think, is in a little trouble, too, because we've redefined what a home is, and now we're trying to redefine what a church is. And I think we've, we've missed what a church is because we've overcomplicated what it is that Jesus had in mind when it came to what a church really is. And so our text here in the book of Acts, with real simplicity, begins to show us what God had in mind when it came to church. Now think about this. Would a church like this one in Acts be what people think when they think of church here in America? I want to just remind you that it was over 350 years after Jesus died before the church got its first building. 
350 years. That's nine generations at least. Can you imagine having nine generations and not have a church building? There are people in America that won't go nine weeks without having their church. So we've got to understand some things with regards to what church is. When Legacy started, interestingly, when Legacy started 15 years ago, I was, I was you know, I, I did not know everything. I fully admit I didn't know everything. And I thought if you start a church, you automatically, you had to get, I know you had to get a federal ID number because if you're going, you know, to, to hire people or if you're going to purchase things, you've got to have a federal ID number. And so I associated the federal ID number with the nonprofit number. So without getting into the discussion about whether a church ought to go get its 501c3, the point that I want to make is, because I didn't even understand those issues then, I just connected those two things together, so I went ahead and got the nonprofit number. Now it's interesting that when the IRS sent me the paperwork in order to get the nonprofit number, it was about that thick. And it was interesting in that paperwork. Now, they asked certain questions that I just refused to answer. I just said, none of your business. But it's interesting because as they evaluated whether or not you, you uh, were uh, appropriately uh, validated to have your nonprofit number, they asked questions as to whether or not they thought you were a church. So there are all these questions in there. For instance, do you have a doctrine? They, they'd ask you this. Do you have a creed? The reason being is because you can't have the first church of dope smokers. I mean, I get what they're doing and that you buy your dope and then, then you get that tax-free. I mean, so you understand there's a reason why they do this. I get that. But they ask, do you have, do you have a doctrine? Do you, do you meet in services? Do you practice certain ordinances? Now, this is the IRS. Is there a curriculum? And there had to have been at least a dozen questions on this, on this thing, this IRS thing that you had to answer in order to get that. Now here, the reason I tell you that story is because even the IRS wants to examine something to see are you really who you say you are. Because we're not going to give you a number so you can navigate life unless you are who you say you are. Are you really a church? Now, it would seem to me if the IRS has questions about whether you're a church or not, the church ought to have some questions as to about whether it's a church or not. So, I don't want the IRS to be more concerned over ecclesiology than I am. So I'm going to tell you, just I'm going to share these things. You can write them down. This may or may not interest you, but we're going to go through this first list real fast. What a church is not. Let me tell you some things I can tell you that it's not. Number one is it's not a building. If a person asks, where do you go to church, how many of you know most people point to a building somewhere? They, oh, I'm over at this location. Now, obviously, the church will gather somewhere. I get that. But a building is not required for a church. Did you notice in our text that they met from house to house? In other words, there was not one house. They met from house to house, they met at times under Solomon's portico, and in the early days, they didn't even come out of their Judaism initially. They were still meeting in temple. 
It's interesting, in Romans 16, verse 5, Paul writes, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So you understand, most churches in New Testament times were in a house. They were in a home. The church, as we shall see, is not a location, but the church is a people. It's not somewhere you go. It is something you are. It is something you relate to. The church doesn't stop when the service stops on Sunday. The church is just dispersed. Following me? Number two, the church is not a business. There are certainly business aspects to a church. But a church is not run as a business. People don't understand this. Because what works for Walmart or what works for a Fortune 500 company may not be the direction of a church. Why would you say that? Because businesses function at a different, at a, for a different reason. Number one, they function for profit and they function under a different template. A church is a people who must walk by faith and not by sight. God will ask us as a church to do some things that we don't have money for. Are you following me? And we say, how can we do that? We don't have any money. Because we walk with the one who owns it all. And so the instant we begin to turn the church into a business endeavor, I'm not saying there aren't good business practices. Don't misunderstand me. That doesn't, that doesn't give us a license to be fools. But we got to understand that we can't function just as a business. Business is run by the bottom line. Churches walk by faith. Number three, surprisingly, it's not even a preaching center. Obviously, preaching takes place, but there's more than just preaching at a church. Number four, it's not an activity center. A church has ministries and activities, but that alone doesn't constitute a church. Isn't it interesting that the early church did not have specified ministry areas? Didn't say in Acts chapter 2 there was a food pantry ministry and a motorcycle club. It's not that those things are wrong. just may not be a necessity. I read a recent article about Francis Chan. It's interesting. He pastored, in fact, he actually founded and pastored a church that grew in a short time to 5,000 people. And he tells in this article, it's really a great article, he tells how he started to feel when he walked into a room this sense of celebrity as a pastor of 5,000 people. And he said that at that moment that he knew that he was feeling this sense of celebrity, he said, I started to like it. And the minute I started to like it, he said, I knew something was wrong. And interesting, Francis Chan resigned his church and said, I want to get back to the simplicity of what it was all about when I was a young man wanting just to share Jesus. And so now he just works with about a dozen house churches in order to recapture the simplicity of the book of Acts. Now, I'm not suggesting we have to take upon that template because the fact of the matter the book of acts church was a large church three thousand one day families and five thousand a few days later that's a big church but understand that the essence of the church was not in its size the essence of the church was what took place when people came inside of it and number five the church is not the kingdom the church is not to be confused with the kingdom. 
The church is a part of the kingdom, but it's not the sole expression of the kingdom. The kingdom is what God rules, and God rules over everything, and he rules over his church. So we're a part of it, but we're not the only part of it. Now, the, the, the big question today, and it's the one that we're going to finish up on here, is what is a church? Now, this is the part you need to zero in. What's a church? I'm going to give you some things, and hopefully this will be meaningful. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. Ekklesia literally means an assembly gathered to address the concerns of the state. An assembly gathered to address the concerns of the state. It comes from the political world of its time. The Holy Spirit pulled out a word from that era when, uh, when civic rulers would gather together to determine what would happen to their nation. There's a fascinating connection between ecclesia and reformation. The church is here to change the affairs of wherever we land. We, we don't come to fit in. We come to change things. We don't come to assimilate. We come to transform. And there's two words in ecclesia that they put together. Ek, which means out, and kaleo, which means to call. And literally, the word church comes uh, from the root to call out or the called out ones. So in other words, if you're a part of the church, you're a part of the called out ones. You've been called out for something. Paul would later compare Christians to ambassadors. An ambassador, of course, is in an embassy in a foreign nation. And if you know anything about embassies, you know those embassies. Let's, let's say there's an American embassy in Moscow, Russia. An American embassy in Russia or a Russian embassy in America. That embassy literally becomes the country it represents. And so there may be an American embassy in Moscow, but that embassy is not under the rules and the laws of the nation that it's in geographically, but that embassy is under the rules and the laws of the country it represents. The church is an embassy. We have been planted as the people of God in a foreign land. We are not here to imitate the culture or the ethic that's around us. We come as emissaries from another land, another nation, another king. And we have an ethic that's our own. We have a law that is our own. We have a culture that is our own. The church is the public face of another nation to the community in which it's located. In other words, when the church lands in Charleston, we're no longer Charlestonians. We are ambassadors of Jesus and His kingdom. We're an outpost of people who are wanting to know what that nation you all are a part of, what's it about? They look at the church and they begin to see what the nation, the kingdom of God, looks like. And our loyalties are first to our king and that nation. I love America, but America comes in second. It comes in second to Jesus and his kingdom. And literally, this is the part that... that is even more radical and that is as an embassy we are on an agenda to cause 
to cause our nation and our kingdom to be ever increasing. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're here to take over. Absolutely, unapologetically. That's the church. The church isn't here to get along and to flow along and to relate to everybody in their dysfunction. The church is here to demonstrate this is what a nation under God looks like. Now, I'm going to give you uh, another, I don't know how many things here, but I'll go through it. I promise I won't keep you here all afternoon. But this is important. I'm laying foundation. This is important. In fact, there are going to be people, hear me now, because we're having, we, we have an incredible future ahead of us. And I understand all that has taken place, but hear me when I say that people are coming to legacy. They're going to see something. They're going to see fire. They're going to see passion. They're going to see God move. They're going to see signs and wonders. They're going to see simplicity. They're going to see something that's going to attract them. And hear me when I say this, when they come, they're coming to a new nation. And so there are going to be people, your friends, that you may have to hand them the YouTube link and say, you need to listen to this because Pastor taught us some things because they're they're not bringing their culture. They're coming into a culture. All right, so let let me share some of this. Number one is a church is an assembly of Christians. Now that sounds simple, but listen to me. A church certainly has a mission. But the gathering is primarily for those whom the mission has taken hold. In other words, the church is primarily for the believer, not necessarily the unbeliever. Now hear me, because this this makes people go tilt. Listen to me. Everybody's welcome. Anybody and everybody can come to church. Believer, non-believer. Everybody is welcome in church as far as the service goes. But the church is made up of God's people. The reason the church has morphed into something unrecognizable at times is because we're trying to connect our practices with unsaved people. We ask ourselves, what must we do in here to connect with unsaved people? I'm here to tell you something. That's not the question. Our primary purpose isn't to get unsaved people to sit in church. Our primary purpose is to refuel, refire, support, train, saved people to reach out and declare the gospel to those people. Now, if you want to come and listen, you're welcome. But I'm not here to simply be the salvation station. This is the part that we come to worship God. We come to be inputted. And if God uses it to win some, praise God. But hear me when I say this. We're not trying at this moment to connect with the world. We're connecting with Jesus. And honestly, the geography of the kingdom and the church is relationship. We may never have a building, but understand... Our relationship together as the tribe of legacy isn't based on a building. It's based on the fact that we know one another. We love one another. We're in commonality, in mission. And it's relationship. Now hear me, this doesn't absolve us from developing relationships with those who need Jesus. My wife and I are constantly looking to make relationship with people who don't know Jesus. But our relationship isn't just to get them to come here to sit in a seat. 
Our relationship is to open up a door that I can present the gospel to them. And I would love to have them come. But if they come, I'm not going to design everything so it scratches their itch. Everything we do is biblical in order to scratch the Lord's itch. I was reading again this book by Francis Chan when he was pastoring his large church. He said one of the reasons he he shifted and he let it go was because he baptized a gang member who had received the Lord in his church. He said after several weeks he noticed that this gang member was no longer attending. He began to ask around and finally was able to track down that gang member and why he hadn't been at church. And that gang member said, the gang loves me more than the church. Now they were friendly and they would talk to me, but the gang checks on me. They keep me accountable to the expectations of the gang. They love me. They walk with me. They listen to me. Isn't that interesting? The church of the book of Acts was large, so the number of members is irrelevant. I'd like to see legacy get larger. But conversion causes us to desire to be in a relationship with each other. It's a people, a Christian people who are assembling together. Number two, the assembly meets regularly. It meets regularly. The church met daily. How would you like to go to church where you need to meet daily? They met daily, every day. People wouldn't do that, would they? It's hard to get them. I read you, I think, last week. It's hard to get people to church once or twice a month anymore. But they would meet daily. And, uh, and the day is not as critical as the regularity. So a church is people who meet regularly for the encouragement, the teaching. I have the question come to me at times, what about shut-ins or those who are logistically challenged? And you know what's interesting? This is what I find interesting. Now, My mother-in-law is in an assisted living uh, arrangement and most of them are in either wheelchairs or they're in those walkers and I'll watch when they have something going on whether it's in the middle of the week or even on Sundays those people will get up and they will march their way down to their large room and they will go to church. It's amazing what you can do. But I understand some can't do that. So obviously if one is challenged there has to be other means of connection. And that's important, and I'm not discounting that. But generally, what that means is you and I need to get up and be in a community. There's something that happens, like we experienced today when we meet together. Number three, the assembly meets in Christ's name. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be in their midst. So we meet in Christ's name. We don't serve a God with no name or some ambiguous spirit. We worship Jesus. We're not ashamed of the name of Jesus. You've come to a Christian church. When you come to Legacy, we'll teach you about Jesus and his precepts. Number four, the assembly has defined biblical authority and discipline. The early church had the apostles' doctrine. They recognized early apostolic anointing and leadership. So the church has called appointed leadership. In fact, you can't have a family without leadership. Even if it's parental or patriarchal leadership, a family has leadership. And church really is probably better uh, uh, analogous to a family than it is a business. Families are ordered. Families are disciplined for safety and security. Hey, let me tell you this. The family isn't a democracy either. 
I don't know how you grew up. My family was not a democracy. My family, my dad, as well as my household, has always been a benevolent dictatorship. That's leadership. Obviously, it's partnered by a mother to shepherd that house into the will of God. But democracy is an American idea. It's not a God idea. Moses wasn't counting votes to figure out, well, the one time he did, trying to take a vote to get into the promised land, it spent 40 years in wildernesses. So that doesn't mean leadership's always right, but it, but it doesn't mean everything's run, you know, by uh, mutual, mutual rationalization. So, Number five, the assembly practices ordinances and praise. The early church practiced baptism and communion. Jesus came under the authority even of John the Baptist. People have asked me, they said, who was Jesus' pastor? And oftentimes I'll say John the Baptist. Because he came under authority. John the Baptist. He said of him there was none greater. So even Jesus came under authority. But a church is one that has authority with which to practice ordinances. I believe, this is just what I believe, I believe that there ought to be God-called authority that baptizes people. I believe there ought to be God-called authority that oversees the table of the Lord. I know other people don't believe that. They believe other things, and you can do what you believe. But I, I can go by the Scripture and show you that there's authority. And what Paul was dealing with at the church at Corinth was is that they were out from authority, which why in chapter 11 he begins to set authority in place again, and then he talks about the table of the Lord. It's also a time when the body comes together to pray. So the church is to pray, and today was such a great day because we prayed, and the praying led right into our worship. It was just, it wasn't typical template, but it was, it was order to the Lord. Number six, the assembly worships Jesus corporately. Obviously, we, we come together, we assemble together to worship Jesus together as a body. There's something dynamic that happens when we do that. And then number seven, the assembly is taught the scriptures. The text says that they learned the apostles' doctrine. And so part of the reason we gather is for us to be taught by experienced, incredible, God-called people. Usually it's by your pastor teacher, by your set one, who comes to help teach and explain and share the word of God. Now, I'm going to end with this. Why is church important? And I'm going to leave you with two quick, two quick items and then we're done. All right, so just bear with me. Hang tough with me. There are two quick items that this is the most important part of everything I shared with you as to what is a church. Number one is this. A church is important because of inheritance. How many of you here remember me saying through the years that when the children of Israel went into the promised land and their inheritance was dispersed, their inheritance was dispersed on the basis of their tribe. The tribe of Benjamin, Judah, Issachar, Naphtali, Reuben, Gad, all of them had an inheritance, but they got their inheritance because they were attached to a tribe. It was the whole nation of Israel, but each tribe had its inheritance. The reason connection to a local church is so important is because there's the whole body of Christ, which encompasses many, many different churches. But a local church is a tribe. And that tribe has a promise. It has an inheritance. And we as a local church have an inheritance. And we've heard some of that prophetically through the years. 
And this is the good news. And the good news is when you attach yourself to a tribe, you not only have your personal inheritances as a child of the Most High God, but there is a corporate inheritance that you get to latch hold of that's, I think, in some ways of even greater importance. So when you say, yes, I'm going to dwell with this tribe, what happens is there's a transfer of the corporate promise that comes upon you because you're a part of that tribe. Now hear me when I say this, there are, I'm not, and people are connected to all different churches with all different promises, so hear me when I say this. Everybody will have some promises from their connections and their tribe. But isolated believers are living far below what they could enjoy from God because they don't have a corporate promise. That's just fact. So be glad. If you're connected, be glad. Because there's more promise that's coming to you. Now here's the second reason. And it's the one that doesn't get talked a lot about, but it's what I call covering or protection. I think the best illustration is probably like Noah in the ark. When God did something in the earth, he took out his people, Noah's family at that time. There was an ark that was provided, and that family was saved from the judgment or the rain or the flood that was released. Now, again, I'm just giving you analogies, and there's a lot of instruction, a lot more that I could give you besides the moment or two I have left here. But I'm here to tell you that a local church that is under appropriate authority is, brings a covering and a protection to your life that you will not have if you walk disconnected. It's just it's as simple as that. It's like an umbrella of protection. Sometimes you don't even know it. Your connection keeps you in blissful ignorance because you don't know how many accidents were missed. You don't know how many things could have happened that didn't happen because you were connected and you were undercovering. I'm not saying that bad things will never happen. I'm not saying that sickness will never come to your household. I'm not saying that. But you'd be amazed, I think, at how many times we've gone through seasons here at Legacy where we've not had anybody sick for months and months and months. Where everyone else at school is sick. It is true. Why is that? Because there's a protection, there is a covering that comes no other way except by being connected. It's the same covering that a father brings to the household, that a pastor brings to a congregation, the church as a whole brings to its members. This isn't just crazy stuff we just generate. This is real live thinking. Noah built an ark, it brought covering to the family in order that they weren't subject. Was it hard? I'm sure it was, living with two of every kind of animal. I'm sure that wasn't fun. But it's better than swimming in the flood. And I'm just simply here to say that that's a pretty good analogy at times of what it means to be connected to a local church. People come a lot of times, and, and, and not to us because we don't have our own building, but it happened the other day. You have people come and they say, we can't pay our electric bill, we can't, pay our, we, can't, we can't feed our family, and they'll go down the list. And the first question I'll ask is, what church are you connected to? Well, you know, I love God, but I'm not connected to any church. Well, isn't that interesting? In fact, I don't remember anybody coming to ask for help. All through the years of ministry, I don't remember anybody coming to ask for help that ever looked at me and said, well, I faithfully attend this church down the road. I've never heard that. Why is that? It's because when you disconnect, you come out from under that 
that covering. But when you're connected, it's amazing. I've always I just found this to be true, that the, the ones that are connected, it's not that you won't be challenged. How many of you know? I know some of you are going through challenges right now. All right. We all go through challenges. But hear me. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. If you, it, it, it says, those who fear the Lord will lack in no good thing. I'm just here to tell you that if you follow his precepts and you fear the Lord, I'm, I'm here to tell you there's an amazing covering that comes that you don't even realize. That's why you need to be connected to a local church. I am unashamedly, and, and again, legacy isn't the only church, but you got to have a local church, and you got to get connected in it. And we're going to talk more as the weeks go on as to what that looks like and how that's assimilated and why that becomes even a greater benefit. Amen? Because I want to be on the ark because there's a flood coming. And you'll be glad in the day of the flood that you were connected to a community. Stand with me, will you?